From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. This hour, you'll meet Mickey Willis, the filmmaker behind Plandemic and Plandemic 2, the most censored and banned documentaries in history. And then, towards the tail end of the hour, syndicated U.S. talk radio host and one-time libertarian candidate for U.S. Vice President Wayne Allen Root will be here with a prediction where the Democratic Party pushes unpopular President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris aside in favor of Hillary Clinton. Coming up in Hour 2, writer-researcher Mary Joyce, the founder of SkyShipsOverCashiers.com, will be here to discuss images from Google Earth of what appear to be structures emerging from the ice in Antarctica, which could be remnants of an ancient civilization. She'll also talk about the latest sightings of little people and the human side of Bigfoot. You've seen the documentaries Plandemic and Plandemic Indoctrination, and now, over the next hour, you're going to meet the filmmaker responsible. Plandemic, Fear is the Virus, Truth is the Cure, co-authored and edited by independent filmmaker Mickey Willis, tells the incredible story of the most banned documentary in history. Researching the controversy arising after the release of this viral phenomenon known as Plandemic, an investigative journalist sets out to disprove and debunk claims made throughout the film. Instead, this journalist opens a Pandora's box to witness firsthand an underworld of corruption, lies, and the darkest of unsolved mysteries. The result? A fascinating behind-the-scenes account about the making of Plandemic and Plandemic indoctrination, an expose of the truth behind the origins of COVID-19 and an alarming examination of individuals such as Dr. Anthony Fauci and Bill Gates and organizations like the CDC, the NIH, the World Health Organization, and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, among others, driving the global vaccination agenda and a look at the tech giant and mainstream media forces doing their utmost to silence and suppress the veracity of these findings. Investigative filmmaker Mickey Willis focuses his unflinching lens on the two key subjects, virologist Dr. Judy Mikovits, who speaks frankly about the machinations for control and profit-corrupting individuals and institutions tasked with overseeing public health, and Dr. David E. Martin, whose research and shocking data corroborate allegations of conflicts of interest. The U.S. media and fact-checkers condemned the two documentaries as a dangerous conspiracy theory. Today, the two-part bombshell is being hailed globally for warning the world of the crimes against humanity that are just now being uncovered. Plandemic was not Willis's first film, and he spent years as a filmmaker and interviewer. He held the first-ever Elevate Film Festival in 2006 and went on to produce such films as Weed the People, The Shadow Effect, and Be Brave and Impact. Mickey Willis, welcome. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Richard. Great to be here. The mainstream media likes to identify you as former actor, former model. So how did you become involved in taking this deep dive into the origins of COVID? Well, even that's kind of funny. The 
the media did its part to bring up the fact that I modeled for about a year when I was 19 years old. and I'm in my 50s now, so it's kind of funny that that's even being dredged up. And that was originally brought up to kind of discredit me as a researcher and as a filmmaker. But the answer to your question is my interest in Western medicine was perked when my brother died of bad AIDS treatments, and a month, month later my mom died of bad cancer treatments, and so I was uh, in my early 20s when that happened. And so I've always kind of you know, been suspicious of what's going on within our Western medical establishment. And then along the way, of course, like all of us, we have, we have friends and families that are damaged by the pharmaceutical industry. I, I have family members that are addicted. I have a, a nephew who was uh, doing really well in, in the world and hurt his back and was given a prescription by a doctor and the prescription simply said take as needed. So he took it as needed and ended up becoming a drug addict as a result of that one little injury. And so, you know, that's really what has fueled me. And then when I became a father 10 years ago, almost 11 years ago now, I started researching vaccinations and whether or not we were going to have our children vaccinated, and that's when I stumbled upon a lot of the information that is still to this day being hidden from the people. Um, I believe it was April 26th last year. You wrote in a, a Facebook post you were working on this film that was going to blast the light of truth into the darkest corners of our corrupt healthcare system. Did you ever expect to uncover the depths of the corruption, or did you go into this thinking... Maybe you might, in fact, find out some of these seemingly outlandish claims weren't true. Well, that's always a possibility, and that's part of our work is to even question ourselves and whatever whatever our biases are and what we believe to be true is to really double-check and triple-check to always try to poke holes in our own belief systems, you know, and that's how we have created a successful situation with these documentaries where they have not been able, even though the media says they're debunked, we've not had one claim that has been proven inaccurate in either one of the pandemic episodes. But kind of tagging on to what I said a moment ago, because I already knew the history of Anthony Fauci, I was told by uh, a lot of people back when my brother died of AZT, which was the drug that Anthony Fauci was pushing very hard, and it ended up doing grave damage and, and killing a lot of people through the 80s and 90s. I already knew that Anthony Fauci had a really speculative record, to say the least. And so when I saw him reemerge for this pandemic, it just shocked me that he was still in the position that he was in. And so the one thing I was certain about was that there was a story to tell about this man if nothing else. And that, the exploration of, of his malfeasance led us down the rabbit hole and then into the world of patents where we found all of the money hiding and all of the paper trail that traced into the story that is just now being revealed to the world that this virus was produced through gain function research. It was manipulated in a lab. How it escaped, we don't know, but that needs to be investigated. In pandemic, we meet Dr. Judy Mikovits. Many of us, this is the, our first sort of introduction to Dr. Judy Mikovits, and she's a former chronic fatigue researcher and, of, of course, a, a staunch critic of Dr. Anthony Fauci. Can you just kind of summarize what Dr. Mikovits's main criticism of Dr. Fauci is with regards to AIDS? Well, her criticism is aligned with many doctors very renowned virologists and immunologists around the world who have anyone who's worked under Anthony Fauci and for the NIH in any capacity has a very similar story about him. And that is a story that they say he's a bureaucrat. He works for the politicians. He hides 
effective medicines, safe and effective medicines that can actually end a, a pandemic or any kind of an outbreak and in, in turn pushes patentable medicines that big pharma makes billions of dollars off of. And in doing so, a lot of people suffer as a result of that. So Judy Mikovits worked in a laboratory that was overseen by NIH, Anthony Fauci, and she was given an ultimatum at one point. And this is a story that I've heard now dozens of times from different scientists, that they're often asked to do something that is either illegal or immoral. And if they do it, what they find is, is that once the superiors have that dirt on them, then they're kind of forced into the system of corruption where they can no longer blow the whistle on things that they see happening. And they're also forced sometimes to go even darker down that into that world of corruption with the threat that we'll reveal you if you don't go along with us. And so Judy was given an ultimatum to play a dirty game. And she said, no, she won't do that. And as a result of that, they dragged her through the mud and tortured her by driving her into bankruptcy, putting her in jail for five days, threatening her in every way, planting a, a bit of evidence in her apartment so that they would have some kind of criminal offense against her to hopefully silence her. And to her credit, because she's a very brave woman, she refused to be silenced. And she continues to, to this day, and she will to the, her very last day on this planet, I'm certain of. She'll continue to speak the truth. Independent filmmaker Mickey Willis is with us. Plandemic was posted on YouTube in May of last year and went absolutely viral. Are you actually credited with creating the term plandemic? As far as I know, yes. And then it was taken down. Can you just talk briefly about the efforts by big tech and others to bury this film? Absolutely. It was unprecedented, the level of censorship. And it was really one of the first times that regular citizens had experienced the censorship themselves because everyone that was sharing it was suddenly reporting back that for the first time ever that they've had their, their page suspended or they were demonetized from their channel, whatever it might be. And so it was literally unprecedented. We had every big tech company you can imagine, from GoDaddy, shut our URL down, Vimeo took our videos down, Dropbox went into our private password-protected files that you store when you're working on projects. They went in behind the scenes, deleted everything, and it just went on and on of every single platform that was willing to share this and to give the people an alternative viewpoint by using this emergency use authorization to suggest to the world that what we were doing was dangerous and killing people, they were able to get all these tech platforms to obey. And now we're at a year and a half later, and I was just informed yesterday that they have, in my main, I guess it would be the Wikipedia page, I believe is what it was, that they had taken the word conspiracy theorist off my page. And one of the reasons for that was because literally every claim that we put out there back in May of 2020 has been proven accurate. And we even put out a, a financial challenge to anyone, doctors or anyone that could prove otherwise, and no one stepped up to take that. And so now we went from being the dangerous ones to the tide has turned so much that we're now receiving a lot of gratitude, and it feels good. It just feels good to know that, you know, it's not about us, but just that the people are actually understanding what's really going on with the situation, that it's not really about our health and protection. What about efforts to censor the book that's just come out? Well, I hope they take it further because what the censors, the gatekeepers, have not fully understood is that the more they do that, the more they make people curious and 
they'll look harder for this material. And so they have tried. They've tried to get the book banned. I will say that it's not really a making of the pandemic movies. It goes much further than that. It actually was a book that I didn't want written because I didn't have the time and we were very busy fielding all of the stuff that was going on with the media and the smears and everything after Pandemic 2 indoctrination was released. But I took it on because I was told that there was an investigative journalist who would do most of the writing and I would just have to be available for a couple of interviews. And as it turned out, this investigative journalist had set out to make a hit piece on us, another one. And she had some notable books that she had written, so I thought that she wouldn't do that, but it turns out that that was her intention. But a couple of months into her work, she called my producer, Eric, and said she's at a real impasse that she doesn't know what to do because she's not been able to prove one claim inaccurate in the movie, and now she wants to take her name off the movie, be off the book, that is, because she's afraid that she'll get canceled and she's got some big deals coming up and she doesn't want to lose those deals, understandably. And so she called, ended up calling me and told me, she said, I was ready to pile on the bad press with you guys. She said, but I have to say, you guys did a fantastic job of research. My mind is blown. I can't believe what I'm finding here. I'm actually kind of terrified by what I'm discovering myself. I'm surprised I didn't know this as an investigative journalist. And I don't know what to do now. And so we ended up striking a deal and saying, well, why don't I come in? We can't just have a book written by nobody. So why don't I come in as your co-author? And let's take it even deeper. Let's take it all the way. And so we do. Uh, there's a lot of things we didn't do in the movie because I thought people aren't ready to hear it yet, but let's go for it in the book. And on top of that, as much as we can, let's make it a, a book that allows people to heal and to come back together. Let's write it so that it can be shared with people who know that their family members are on the fence and just need to see the data, the, the real verifiable information with statistics and everything, and written away with enough heart that it isn't so biased that it demonizes one side or turns people off, that it actually creates a bridge for people to accept what's happening right now. And it was written from that point of view, and so far it seems to be that it's been very effective and very proud to say that it went number two on Amazon and it's got five-star reviews so far and um, I really didn't expect that. So I'm grateful for the people who have gone out and supported the book. Many of us were watching with you know rapt fascination as U.S. Senator Rand Paul was grilling Dr. Anthony Fauci about the NIH's role in gain-of-function research and of course Fauci repeatedly denied, denied, denied. What was going through your mind as you were watching those two go at it? Yeah, great question. A lot was going through my mind because it was actually Dr. David Martin, who is the lead speaker in Plandemic 2, Indoctrination, who educated Rand Paul and Ron Johnson with what David Martin has developed that he calls the Fauci dossier. He has information dating back to the mid-80s. Anthony Fauci was given his position in 1984, ironically, if you understand the significance of the, of the date 1984. Mm. And David Martin has been collecting evidence on him since then, and so he, he got together with Rand Paul and Ron Johnson and educated them on that, and that's when they went after Anthony Fauci really hard. And now the world is just now catching up to that. They understand that he, you know, the NIH just came out a week ago, and for the most part threw Anthony Fauci into the bus by saying he lied under oath in Congress, and yes, we absolutely did fund gain-of-function research. And so that's created a whole new world of trouble for Anthony Fauci, and now we have people we're actually editing, as we speak right now, we're editing a new updated piece on that where, you know, you have people like Dr. Drew and these major doctors coming out saying, I no longer trust Anthony Fauci and he needs to resign. 
can we draw a direct link between that gain-of-function research from the Echo Health Alliance in Wuhan to the current pandemic? I think there's many paper trails that do just that. And I, I can't say much about this, but I'll just say that I got a call from a whistleblower that used to be part of the EcoHealth Alliance, and I spoke with him last week. So through that connection and several others, there's some very direct lines being drawn. So it's pretty obvious at this point. Yet, as you said, they'll just continue to deny and deny, and they'll go off on CNN and MSNBC, and they'll just tell everyone that this is all a wild conspiracy theory. It's not. And ironically, I guess it took the discovery of Anthony Fauci's horrific experiments that he's been doing on dogs for people to care. Um, why that matters more than the experiments that are being done on children right now, I don't know why, but honestly, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to get that uh, Pandora's box opened. There's that oft-repeated saying, you know, never let a good crisis go to, mm -hmm. to waste. Churchill used it. Yeah. Rahm Emanuel used it. To what extent was this pandemic all about creating the crisis in order to offer the cure, and the cure was a severe curtailing of civil liberties. Well, you know, that's why we called it Plandemic. It's pretty obvious at this point, especially when you see, if, if you see Plandemic 2 indoctrination, Plandemic 1 is the one that was seen by over a billion people. Plandemic 2 has been seen by a couple of hundred million. But that one really offers the clarity of how this happened and the preparation leading up to the announcement of the pandemic with a bunch of simulated tabletop exercises to prepare the world and a lot of the people that are profiting from it right now it was all they were all in the room it was funded by bill and melinda gates foundation and it was very clear and even creepy when you watch it to understand what they knew a year before the pandemic was announced what they knew would they be in short supply of how they knew the media would supply how they knew the people would react and so it was very clear that they were working out a way to work around all the different obstacles when they came. But yet nobody, even though they knew a year before the pandemic was announced, and they knew everything they'd be in short supply of, that no one with their you know, very deep pockets in that organization and the combined collective organizations took the time to actually go out and manufacture these things that we needed and have them ready for the pandemic that Anthony Fauci said would absolutely, without a doubt, come within Trump's presidency. So they knew it was coming, and I believe, and I think, you know, at this point, millions of people are very clear that this was leveraged for political power to justify the stripping away of our civil liberties, which never come back, after 9-11 took place, one dummy with explosives in his shoes, 20 years later, we still take off our shoes and we go to the airport. These things never come back. And so the narrowing of our freedoms that is the ultimate goal so that they can have us all under a digital currency, under total control, and under perhaps even a, a universal basic income that will allow then the government to say, well, we don't like what you said online, and so you don't eat this month. And so until you shape up, and behave the way we want you to, you better because you're no longer sovereign. You don't make your own money. We've shut down all the mom and pop independent businesses. And now you just buy from the big box stores and be a good citizen. And we'll give you what you need to get by, to barely get by. That is the ultimate goal. And that's not hyperbole. If you look at the other nations that this has happened to, particularly China and many others, then you'll understand that we're literally following a playbook that has been repeated over and over again. But I have very little concern that they're going to be able to fully pull it off in America. 
Ah, okay. I uh, would be very interested in picking up on that point on the other side. Mickey Willis, editor, co-author, Plandemic, Fear is the Virus, Truth is the Cure. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Mickey Willis is with us, independent filmmaker, investigative journalist, and uh, the book is Plandemic, Fear is the Virus, Truth is the Cure. Towards the tail of the uh, the last segment, you said something very, very important. You don't think they'll get away with this in the United States. Explain. Well, you know, the other nations that have surrendered to this type of agenda were much smaller nations with far less power. America has been the firewall from this agenda happening for a number of decades. This has been in play for a hundred years or more. And the people that are behind this, and you know, I, I hesitate to even label them, but I would say that they all can fall under a category known as globalist, and that are the, those are the people who, admittedly, out on you know microphone and international television, will say that there's a need for a one-world government, and they've been working towards that for a number of decades by destabilizing other nations, creating wars, and then setting up central banks and creating a state of dependency in other nations on the U.S. dollar, bailing them out with U.S. aid, and then we eventually own that nation. And now the benefit for the people on this globalist agenda to control all the other nations is so they they don't have outliers in this like they had in this particular case. They had so many outliers, so many, when you look at Sweden and Hong Kong and different, even within our own nation here, when you look at South Dakota and, and different states that just decided that they weren't going to go along with such severe protocols, every one of those places have, not only did they not destroy their economy, but their numbers, their infection rates, their death rates, all of it is far better than the worst examples, that being, say, Israel, New York, Los Angeles, Australia, parts of Canada, all the places that went the most extreme are in the worst shape. And so they don't want to be able to have those outliers. They don't want to be able to have the certain governors or mayors in, in certain cities or, or presidents of certain nations to be able to have the individual sovereignness power to say, no, we're not going to play that game. They have to all be under one control so that they, when they do these global scams that everyone has to participate and we don't have anything to compare it to. But the good news is we have a lot to compare this to. All the numbers are coming in right now, and even the numbers with the amount of hospitalizations that are happening for people who were fully vaccinated. The hospitals are filled with people who were fully vaccinated right now, and the people who weren't vaccinated, very few of them are getting COVID for a second time. They got it, they got the antibodies, they built their immune system, and they're doing better. They're in better shape. And that's just science. Those are just the real numbers when they're allowed to actually be seen. And so America has always been the firewall because of its power, because of its military power, because of the experiment that it is in liberty. It has always been the hurdle to stop this agenda from going global in all other nations. And I just, in answer to your question, because of what I'm seeing here, being on the inside and the front line of all the different solutions and the people that are waking up, this is going to backfire like nothing else. And we're going to end up with a far more We'll always have a division, always have people that, that will never accept what's really happening here. But for the most part, the Americans are waking up at a rapid pace to understand that our government, areas of our government, not all of it, is incredibly corrupt. And this is all about politics. And I believe that I, well, what I always say is 
one of the unintended consequences of the situation is it gave birth to a generation of researchers and citizen journalists. And that in itself is a gift that we can't put a price on. Do you have any insights into why, for example, you mentioned some of these jurisdictions in the United States that never bought into the official narrative? Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, Christy Nome, governor of South Dakota. Were they getting their advice, let's say, from the Barrington Declaration rather than relying on the official science tables? How did they avoid this mess? Well, you know, it's really become a polarized party thing. And I will say this from somebody who I come from the far left. My political awakening began when I was on the road documenting Bernie Sanders' 2016 campaign. And then I went on to follow Tulsi Gabbard around for her campaign. She's a wonderful person. Bernie, I'm no longer a fan of. I understand that he's a Trojan horse for this thing he calls socialism, which is communism in disguise. The reason I brought up the political side of it, just to let people know I come from the left, is that all the people who resisted this happen to fall on the right. I find myself to be a political orphan. I'm somewhere in the Libertarian Party now. I would think that that's kind of where I probably end up, if not, you know, really hoping that a new party comes out in the next few years. Because I think we have a lot of problems in the Republican Party, too. Yet, when it comes to this particular agenda, the majority of the left-leaning or blue states, these people have been planted there for their ability to be controlled. And in the states that were red, and a lot of those are the rural areas like South Dakota and beyond and Florida and I'm in Texas. Those are the places that maintained enough common sense. And we saw it here in Texas because Texas is purple. It's blue and red in a particular area of Texas that I'm in. And so we got to see it firsthand. We got to see from county to county, city to city, literally driving through one city was just full lockdown mass mandates all of that and then you drive to the next county and it's got you know the constitutional sheriffs and the it's a red county and they had none of that and their numbers were lower the people were less scared they just went on with their lives and they continued to grow their food and do their thing and then we have the you know we look over to the left here and they're doing quite the opposite and so you could just see the effect and the leverage that politics has over the behavior of the people and so in answer to your question it's really a political thing it is a party thing and this one happens to fall on the left mostly I also want to mention that we just did a partnership with an incredible doctor who was just nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize named Dr. Zelenko Ah, yes. Vladimir Zelenko, who has created an incredible health remedy to combat the attack against our immune system. It's called Z-Stack, and it's on there, too, and the formula's on there so people can go out and buy it on their own. It's all over-the-counter stuff, but I highly recommend that people take it serious and look at that to um, get our immune systems boosted before this dark winter that's coming. Yeah, it's he, all there at pandemicseries.com. And he developed the hydroxychloroquine protocol with astromyosin and, and zinc and so forth, which kind Correct. of leads into the next question. And I've had Dr. Peter McCullough on the, on the program many, many times. And I've asked him, you know, how many lives does he think could have been saved had we followed here in, in the West, for example, the protocols of Uttar Pradesh? In India, 240 million people. COVID is finished thanks to ivermectin. Any ideas about how many lives could have been saved had we intervened with either HCQ and zinc or ivermectin? Almost all of them is the best way to put it because, you know, we're looking at an 85 to 99% success rate, both as a prophylactic and as treatment during COVID. And 
every doctor I had in my studio here, Dr. Robert Malone, who created the mRNA technology, he said the same thing. As I mentioned, Zelenko, uh, he was here in my studio the week before that. He says the same thing. All of these top doctors, Judy Mikovits, David Martin, everybody that I'm associated with say the same thing right now. And a lot of them chose to speak out to me, even during this dangerous time when they can lose everything, simply because... I reached out to them at one point. Some of them said, it's just too dangerous. I can't, I'll lose everything, and I can't afford that. But after they smeared hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, these doctors got a hold of me, and they said, at this point now, I can say that they're actively killing people because they know, these people know. There's no way that Fauci does not know the effectiveness of those two medications that have been around for decades. And so when we see this on the news, it has us know that there's a very, very dark agenda happening, and now we have to speak out. We feel that's our moral obligation to speak out. And it's because of that lie about medicines that these doctors know, and most of them have said that they've been prescribing them for years, and they've had very little side effects, mostly just an upset stomach, which is you know, very common when somebody ingests some kind of a pharmaceutical. But Vladimir Zelenko told me, literally, he said he's seen people go from incredibly sick to almost 100% recovered within either hours or just a couple of days. And he's seen it over and over and over at this time. I guess at one point, a couple thousand people or so that he's treated. Several thousand people, I think. And so there's just really no denying it at this point. And so you really have to ask yourself a question. Do they really care about our health and our well-being? Now that pharmaceutical companies are trying to create their version of ivermectin so that they can patent it, that's the whole problem. It's all about patents. They cannot patent it. it. Ivermectin is off patent, and it's 30 cents a dose. And they can't make any money off of it. So now they're creating their own version of it that they can patent and then now charge a lot more for it and make a lot of money off of it. Mickey Willis, the author of Plandemic, Fear is the Virus, Truth is the Cure. Back with more in a moment. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Mickey Willis, editor, co-author, Plandemic, Fear is the Virus, Truth is the Cure, independent investigative filmmaker. I also want to mention that we just did a partnership with an incredible doctor who was just nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize named Dr. Um, Zelenko. Ah, yes. Vladimir Zelenko, who has created an incredible health remedy to combat the attack against our immune system is called Z-Stack, and it's on there too, and the formula's on there so people can go out and buy it on their own. It's all over-the-counter stuff, but I highly recommend that people take it serious and look at that to um, get our immune systems boosted before this dark winter that's coming. Yeah, and it's he, all there at PlandemicSeries.com. And he developed the hydroxychloroquine protocol with astromyosin and, and zinc and so forth. Um, which kind Correct. of leads into the next question, and I've had Dr. Peter McCullough on the on the program many, many times. Peter and, will be here in my studio next week. Ah, wonderful. Talking about, uh, and I've asked him, you know, how many lives does he think could have been saved had they fo- had we followed here in in the West, for example, the uh, the protocols of Uttar Pradesh in India, two hundred and forty million people. Yeah. COVID is finished thanks to ivermectin. Any ideas about how many lives could have been saved? had we intervened with either HCQ and zinc or ivermectin? Almost all of them is the best way to put it because, you know, we're looking at an 85 to 99% success rate as a, both as a prophylactic and as treatment during COVID. And 
every doctor I had in my studio here, Dr. Robert Malone, who created the mRNA technology, he said the same thing. Uh, as I mentioned, Zelenko, uh, he was here in my studio the week before that. He says the same thing. All of these top doctors, Judy Michaelvitz, David Martin, everybody that I'm associated with say the same thing right now. And a lot of them chose to speak out to me, even during this dangerous time when they can lose everything, simply because... I reached out to them at one point. Some of them said, it's just too dangerous. I can't, I'll lose everything, and I can't afford that. But after they smeared hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, these doctors got a hold of me, and they said, at this point now, I can say that they're actively killing people because they know, these people know. There's no way that Fauci does not know the effectiveness of those two medications that have been around for decades. And so when we see this on the news, it has us know that there's a very, very dark agenda happening, and now we have to speak out. We feel that's our moral obligation to speak out. And it's because of, because of that lie about medicines that these doctors know, and most of them have said that they've been prescribing it for years, and they've had very little side effects, mostly just an upset stomach, which is you know, very common when somebody ingests some kind of a pharmaceutical, um, but that they've seen people... they, they you know, Vladimir Zelenko told me, literally, he said he's seen people go from incredibly sick to almost 100% recovered within either hours or just a couple of days. And he's seen it over and over and over at this time. You know, at, 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 I guess at one point, a, few, a couple thousand people or so that he's treated. Several thousand people, I think. And so there's just really no denying it at this point. And so you really have to ask yourself a question. Do they really care about our health and our well-being if they're... You know, they're now they're trying to create, you know, the pharmaceutical companies are trying to create their version of ivermectin so that they can patent it. That's the whole problem. It's all about patents. They cannot patent it. it. Ivermectin is off patent, and it's 30 cents a dose, and they can't make any money off of it. So now they're, they're, they're creating their own version of it that they can patent and then now, you know, charge a lot more for it and make a lot of money off of it. We're seeing all these cracks in the narrative. We just had our chief public medical officer up here in Ontario kind of let it slip for the first time, really. I mean, he, I don't know if he realized he actually he said it out loud that a prior infection confers immunity. And yet, that, that's, there's no exemption for a prior infection. We have a travel ban going into effect here in Canada the end of November. You won't be able to get on a plane or a train or a marine vessel and travel within your own country or abroad unless you're fully vaccinated. Yeah. Canadians will be prisoners, unvaccinated Canadians, prisoners in their own country. Again, we see these cracks. He let it slip. What is, what is yeah. it going to take for this dam to finally burst? We see all the cracks. Yeah, well, it's, it's bursting. It's bursting in slow motion. I, I, would, I would tell people if you really want to have clear evidence, study the Amish. The Amish have their own way of doing things, and one story that we're researching right now was that uh, from one Amish community, they had, as soon as COVID, the first person had COVID within their community, they had a party where everybody drank out of the same wine glass until they all contracted COVID, and they all got sick, and they were all in bed for a few days, and then they all recovered naturally with you know organic remedies, and now they're totally immune to it. They have the full antibodies, and instead, what we've done is we have suppressed our immune systems. We were told to stay inside, out of the sunlight, out of the vitamin D. We were told not to exercise, and we were told to disinfect our homes 
meaning that we were weakening our immune systems by creating a sterile environment. This is why when people go into ICU for several months, they just can't be integrated back into society because they'll get sick and they'll die because their immune systems shut down in a sterile environment. So we literally created an ICU environment in our homes by spraying our countertops, you know, not to mention the fact that a lot of these sprays were toxic in themselves and no, you know there was there were no health experts to come out to say be careful with this brand or, or these chemicals or this formula use only this these are the healthiest ones no they didn't want that they wanted us to use the unhealthy stuff so now we have all these people with immunocompromised systems that are now and, and this is why we have what they're calling the super cold you know the UK is experiencing the super cold right now and it's spreading here so we're, what is a super cold really well it's the cold but it's super because our immune systems are so not super, right? Ever had in their lives. And this is all because of the degradation of our natural immune systems. So we're playing with nature, where it's a war against nature. And this is really what Big Pharma is up to because at the end of the day, it's a win win for them. Because if we destroy our national immune systems, then we're literally dependent upon them to survive our toxic environment. That's, that's, that's ultimately, at the end of the day, what's going to happen to a lot of people who are taking third three and four booster shots. Uh, Mickey, you point out in the book, Plandemic, Fear is the Virus, Truth is Secure, that uh, there have been over 500 new billionaires in a single year created because of the the pandemic. Just final question, and we just have a short, like a minute here. Mm -hmm. Do you foresee a reckoning happening? Do you foresee, for example, uh, a Nuremberg II-type trial? I I think, you know, something... Perhaps, it, you know, I don't know that it'll be a, to that degree, but when you see there's a video going around right now of Bill Gates trying to um, drive through some part of London and, and people are shouting at his car, you murderer, we know who you are, we know what you did. And so the people are waking up to this, and I think that we're going to see some form of justice. I don't know what that would look like, Richard, but I do believe that we're very close to seeing a resignation, which then will lead towards some type of charges against Anthony Fauci. I believe that'll be the beginning of it. And then that may then spill on into really investigating Bill Gates, which has to be done, because I know the history of that man. And if anyone still thinks he's a good-hearted philanthropist, boy, <laughs> I got a bridge to sell you. I know that you're not about, I told you so, and you would take very little solace in being vindicated by all of this, but you have been, and uh, I, I think you're doing the Lord's work. Mickey, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your openness and your support, and God bless you, sir. Thank you. Mickey Willis. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. You thought we'd seen the last of Hillary Clinton? Wayne Allen Root, host of the nationally syndicated Wayne Allen Root Raw and Unfiltered, is predicting the Dems are going to try and install Hillary as president. Wayne Allen Root, welcome back. How are you? Hey, Richard. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And and, uh, certainly... I'm very famous for one thing, writing provocative articles with provocative headlines, and this one got me a lot of coverage in the media all over the United States. But I don't write it to get attention. I write it because that's what I believe in. But certainly the idea that Hillary 
could wind up as president again without being elected, by the way, without anybody voting for her, is very provocative and has caught everyone's attention. And it made the headlines all over the United States and, uh, and resulted in a lot of people talking. And I, that's what I do, by the way. A, I want to be right. I want to be accurate. But B, I want to start a conversation. I want people to be talking and debating the issues. And that's what I'm good at. And it certainly worked uh, exceedingly well this time. Well, it is provocative, but it also makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you look at the polls right now, I can't remember the last time the president of the United States was in the low 30s in the approval rate. The vice president, probably 10 points lower than that. You have combined the two most unpopular politicians in America right now, practically. They desperately need a life preserver. Yes, and I want to I mention that, you know, being that this interview is in Toronto, Canada, perhaps people in, uh, up north, our northern neighbors, don't understand how bad the polls are in America. They're very slanted. All these polls that show Biden in the 30s of popularity and Kamala Harris as vice president in the 20s are actually known for oversampling Democrats. I call them rigged polls. Uh, you know, they're, they're fraudulent polls. They make sure they poll many more Democrats than there are percentage-wise Democrat voters in the actual election. Let's say that in any given election, 50% of the voters are Democrat and 48 are Republican. Well, that's how you should poll. But instead, the pollsters poll 60% Democrats and 40% Republicans, which is not in any way representative of what the real vote is. And then they come out always with much higher ratings for Democrats than Republicans. They were famous for doing that for four years under President Trump. They always made his ratings look much lower than they really were because they oversampled Democrats. And of course... If you poll more liberals, as we say in America, I'm not sure if in Canada that term applies, but if you poll more leftists, you're going to get a leftist answer. And they're going to say, oh, we hate Trump. But you're not polling the right percentage of people. So my point is, these are the same polls that underrepresented Trump, and now they're still oversampling Democrats, and they show Biden in the 30s and Kamala in the 20s. You know what that means? The real numbers, if these were professional polls, would be Biden would probably be in the low 30s or even the 20s, and Kamala is probably in the teens. So you're even underestimating how unpopular they are based on, on pollsters that I think are always rigging their polls to help Democrats a little bit. So it's, it's quite amazing how unpopular the whole country has turned against Biden and Kamala Harris. So Democrats know that Trump's going to run again. He's made that clear even on my show. He came on three weeks ago and said... Absolutely, you're going to be thrilled when you hear what I'm planning to do for 2024. But I can't say the word, yes, I'm running, because that would put me in campaign finance laws, and that might get me in some sort of trouble, or that might cause me to you know, have to you know, absolutely do certain things that meet the rules and regulations of the FCC, uh, FEC, Federal Elections Commission. So I can't say yes, I'll just say you're going to be thrilled when you find out what I'm going to do in 2024. So Trump is absolutely running again, and most polls show if the election were held today and they got a revote. a tremendous amount of people that voted for Biden would switch over to Trump and he'd win by a landslide. They show 13 to 15 point landslide. So certainly Democrats know all this and they're plotting, in my opinion, 
and planning and coordinating ways to replace both Biden and Kamala Harris. And that was what my article was all about. And by the way, Richard, I don't know if it's going to be Hillary Clinton. I just know she's been in the media a lot lately. She disappeared for two years, and now she suddenly popped up day and night again. I think she's planning to be the one they use to replace Biden. But I know one thing for sure. My prediction isn't that Hillary will be the next president. My prediction is they're going to replace Biden before 2024, if he even lasts that long, because it's clear he's got dementia and he's getting worse yeah. every day. Right. So it's, it's a bad situation, and they will replace him. That I will predict. Well, it's interesting because uh, in terms of the vice president, there are rumblings that the House of Representatives is gearing up for confirmation hearings. And the only thing that the House confirms is the vice president. Yeah, and, and uh, it's funny because uh, the few criticisms I got for this article, you know, I love to read the comments under the commentaries that I write, right? I like to hear what people are saying, and I love it when everybody agrees with me. And But when half do or half don't or 20% don't, that's okay. I want to hear what they say so I can come up with an answer. And so quite a few people said, well, I love Wayne Root, and his predictions are usually right, but on this one he's way off because you can't... <clears throat> Uh, appoint a vice president, it's automatically the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, who would move up to vice president according to the U.S. Constitution. And I could tell you right now, Richard, that's not true. They've got the story wrong. As right. a matter of fact, the proof is in 1976, when when uh, Spiro Agnew mm-hmm. had to strap down as vice president, Richard Nixon didn't name the Speaker of the House. He named the minority leader of the House, Gerald Ford. You can name anyone you want as long as the House backs it and votes for it. You, you've got that person. And then when, when Nixon resigned, Ford became president, and he named Nelson Rockefeller the vice president. Well, he wasn't Speaker of the House. He was the former governor of New York, but he was never even in the House. He was never a congressman in his life. You can name anyone you want. I think the Speaker of the House thing, what people get confused of, that's a succession thing. In other words, if the president and vice president get killed in a, in a bombing, you automatically have the Speaker of the House moves on up. But if somebody Resigns, the president could pick whoever he wants, and that person gets ratified or not by the House. Well, the House is Democrat right now, so if they name someone right now, that person would be ratified by the Congress. If Biden gets rid of Kamala Harris, how do you see him being pushed aside? Would the new vice president, whether it's Hillary or someone else, invoke the 25th Amendment? Will he be pressured or decide on his own that it's time for him to step aside? How do you see this playing out? Yeah, who, who knows, Richard? I mean, we don't know what will happen. I don't know. I, have a, I don't have a crystal ball, but I do have a pretty good gut instinct that's been right an enormous, uncanny amount of times in my six years on national radio and TV. I've made a lot of predictions, and most of them have come true. But some have been wrong, right? I mean, nobody's perfect. I'm, I'm batting about 990, I think, which is pretty good. In the major leagues, oh, yeah. if you bat 300, you, you make the Hall of Fame. I'm batting like 990. I think I've been wrong about 10 times making like 1,000 predictions. So I'm not bad. But I don't know what's going to cause Biden to step down. Either it'll be the 25th Amendment, they'll force him to step down, or he'll just voluntarily do it because, uh, you know, he's obviously lost. Anybody can see he's lost. So, you know, his wife may convince him and his closest aides may convince him you just can't run in 2024. Your poll ratings are too low and you are having mental uh, cognitive problems. And that's a perfect excuse to step down and you'll be a hero. They'll say what a brave, wonderful, courageous man you are. You gave up the presidency for the good of the country. 
So who knows? Do they force him to do it, or does he do it voluntarily? What about the timing? Do you, I mean, it has to happen before the midterms, and if they're going to have any hope of averting this red tsunami in the midterms. You think, you think, but I, you know, I, I'm not there. I'm not in the middle of their meetings. I make predictions for a living, and my prediction was they're going to have to do something before 2024 and maybe before 2022. It looks like they're going to get destroyed in the midterms, but, you know, I, I feel, you know, as many Americans do, as most Trump voters do, I feel that they stole the 2020 election. I believe Trump won. It was clear he won, and, and the five battleground states that stopped the count at midnight on election night, the most absurd thing that's never happened in the history of America before, and they all conspired with each other to stop the count. And in the morning, they suddenly found hundreds of thousands of votes for Biden and zero for Trump. And he, and he literally lost five battleground states by, by like a thousand votes in each determined the difference in the entire United States presidential election. So I believe it was stolen. So if you believe it was stolen, how do you know that 2022 won't be stolen or 2024 won't be stolen? I don't trust the process anymore, and I don't know one Trump or Republican voter who trusts the process. We believe there's massive voter fraud in the American election system, mostly relating to two things, two simple things. You don't have to get into anything complicated or machines changing votes or anything like that. Number one, we're the only major country in the world that doesn't have voter ID. And because of COVID, we have mail-in balloting, which means you don't even show up at the poll. You just send it in. Nobody can prove who you are. There's no signature matching, no signature verification. So the whole thing is one big corrupt fraud, in my opinion. So do I believe that we should win by a landslide in 2022 and take over both the House and the Senate by a mile? Yes, I think it should be an historic biggest landslide in the history of America, because everyone hates Biden at this point. But will it happen? Well, not if you allow millions of mail-in votes with no voter ID, and they bombard the system with fraudulent voting. Maybe it'll be a lot less than it could have been. So, you know, maybe it's going to be that bad, Richard, and maybe they're going to make sure through voter fraud it's not really that bad. And that's what worries me. Wayne Allen Root, host of the nationally syndicated Wayne, Wayne Allen Root, Raw and Unfiltered on the USA Radio Network and author of The Great Patriot Protest and Boycott Book. Wayne, appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. God bless. Bye-bye. Stay tuned for Hour 2, writer-researcher Mary Joyce on Ancient Civilizations in Antarctica.